So how many of you know God's exact and perfect will for your life? Anyone? Not so much? How many of you wish you knew what God's exact and perfect will was for your life? Right? I mean, we, we wish we sort of had God's map for what like Scott Elgersma's journey was supposed to look like. If I were to go back in my life like 25 years, which would make me blah, 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 blah. And if I were that old then, and sort of ask the question, okay, God, um, show me your way um, so that I can go that direction. If I saw this picture of me at this age now and, and looked at it, I would think that God lost his mind. I hadn't... Now, I'm not at all planned on being here in Southern California. I think I've said already from the front that one of the places that I least wanted to go as a teenager was California and most of all that heathenistic place, Southern California. And yet here I am. Trying to discern exactly what God's will is, is really hard, especially because when we see things in our lives that happen, it's hard to tell that it's God at work sometimes, and not something else, right? Like, I think about sickness and illness. Is it God's will that we get sick sometimes? Yeah? Is it God's will that... Cancer is real. Oh boy, that's a little harder, right? Is it God's will that sometimes people die? Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound like that. In fact, that's probably not something that we as a church community or we as believers want to advertise very quickly to the world around us. Come, learn about God's will, and maybe it will include cancer and death. Come, be a follower of Jesus. Trying to learn and discern what God's will is for our lives is sometimes really hard and so often we can't even grab on to what it is until we look back on it 10, 12, 20 years later. If I look back on where I was when I was in, you know, in high school and in college and think about it now, I can see all these little places, these little crossroads, these little places where God put up a flag and said, here I am. Places where instead of moving in this direction, which was Scott's plan and idea, it became this way, which was God's plan and idea. Hard at the time, very painful even sometimes, but in that God is glorified and his will works itself out in my life. Trying to figure out God's will is really hard. And there's a woman in the text of Scripture that we want to study this morning who lives into that in a pretty big way, in a painful way, in a hard way. But as she lives into that, she sees God at work. And how she responds to God at work is what we want to learn from this morning in the story of Hannah. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament. It's going to be about seven or eight books in from the very front. You'll um, see the story of Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. It'll be about maybe a quarter or a third way into the text. If you find kings, it's right before that. As we do that and discover more about God's word and what he has for us, let's pray for his presence and the Holy Spirit's blessing. Father, we ask, Lord, that you meet us. 
And Lord, as we are people who long to know, discover, and do your will, we ask, Lord, that you can help us through this story understand how we live into doing your will. How we understand and live into being um, people who say, in all things, you are working together for the good of us and your people. And Lord, in that, that we are willing to say each day, I will follow Jesus where he needs me today. In that, Lord, may we be able to exercise and live out into your will regardless of circumstances. Lord, even when times get hard and there are challenges and questions and doubts and fears, Lord, may we seek you out Long for you. Listen for your voice. Go to the places where we can be in intimacy with you through prayer and reading your word and through the fellowship of believers. And in that, Lord, may you speak to our hearts powerfully. We ask, Lord, that your transformation happens in this room, in your people this morning. And you're the only one who can do it. We pray you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, 1 through 28. We'll start with the first eight verses. It says this there. There was a certain, na- a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. By the way, if you want to be a pastor, you have to get your pronunciations right. It's a class when you're in seminary, so you get them right. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, First of all, let's just name a little bit of an elephant in the room so that it's named. We need to talk about polygamy in God's Word. Because there's multiple wives of Elkanah, right? And certainly, we would say as a community that that is not God's will or intention for your life. And besides that, any husband who wants to have a second wife or any wife who wants to have a second husband, you are just doubling the complexity of life, right? I mean, we all acknowledge that. But in this day and age, the culture of polygamy was a little bit different, and it had everything to do actually with the survival of children. 
The mortality rate of infants was so much. I mean, the average age in this day and age, we're talking less than 40 was the average age that you, you know, that was old age. If you hit 40, you were, uh, that was when you died. So to have multiple wives bearing children for a family, if you had wealth, you were doing that not just to have multiple um, you know, matrimonial relationships, but also for the purpose of having children. Thus, you see so often many, um, many characters from the Old Testament had um, many, many children, even to the point of like 30, 40, even 50 children. People like Solomon and David as kings had many children. Now, how do we think about that? Is it still okay? Well, certainly Christ has come. And because Christ has come, it has been transformed. That whole idea has been transformed away from the idea of polygamy towards faithfulness to but one spouse. That's why we see in different places in the New Testament that clearly God intends for his people to live into monogamous relationships. So I just, I want to name that for some of you who might wonder, well, how do we think about polygamy because these people had multiple wives? At the time, it was a different thing. Now we know that in obedience to Christ, we do not live into that. We live into monogamous relationships. The second thing that we want to recognize from this portion of the text is that Hannah was a favorite, but she was going through one of the more painful things that people have or can walk through at times. And those of you who have known infertility, and I know that there are many of you in this place who have experienced that either personally or through a family member, know just how painful that can be. In fact, some of you have gone on decades or multiple decade-long journeys of infertility and experienced the pain, the isolation, and the loneliness of it. Hannah has it even worse in that the other wife, her rival, decides to go after it. And say, you know, wow, you know, Hannah, you'd be a much better person if you just could have kids. Can you imagine the pain that that would cause somebody? Some of you who are going through that, you don't even want to talk about having children with others. Because it's already so sensitive and so painful that for you to go into that conversation with a person that you see every day and all they want to do is irritate you and, and the, her rival wants to irritate her. Why? Because she's a favorite. She probably wants her husband to show her some of the same attention that her Elkanah is showing to Hannah, but it's not happening. So how does she lash out? She lashes out by irritating and causing great pain to Hannah. So the whole sort of frame of the story is that Hannah is in this place of pain and she longs for God to come and meet her in her disappointment. For those of you, again, who've gone for it through infertility, that month after month cycle, when you hope, when you long for, when you pray for, when you, you know, have tears streaming down your face, God, can it be this time? Can it be this time? And it isn't. Hannah's in that place of sheer disappointment and brokenness, longing for God to come and open up her womb and for her to have children. But you see, it says there, God closed her womb. That's where we get into the difficulty of God's will here. This is part of God's plan and purpose. 
God is bringing something into Hannah's life, allowing something into Hannah's life. And we can, you know, I don't want to get into that whole discussion of God's will, whether it's an active will or a permissive will. Is God saying to Hannah, you know, this is not going to happen to you or simply through his permission to say that's not going to happen to you now. It's That's complex and that's really hard. I don't want to go into that. But what I do want to understand is God as at work in this process of her barrenness and her infertility. And because God is at work here, it also means that God is at work to be able to transform and the story to gain deep and incredible beauty. Let's discover more about that beauty. Verses 9 through 16. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Hannah's in this hard place of of weeping and anguish. And she's hurting like crazy. And she actually does what we saw last week when we looked at Jephthah, right? She makes a pretty rash, a pretty big vow, it seems, right? She says, if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you fully and completely in service to you. It seems like a pretty big thing in order for her to promise because basically what she's saying, you give me a child and in some senses, I won't see them again very much. Because they're going to be in your service. It's the same sort of thing as Jephthah did, where Jephthah said, the thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. It seems rash. seems like over the top because of what in fact it is that she is promising. But she is in so much pain. She is in so much anguish over her infertility and barrenness that she is willing to do anything. And so she prays this prayer. It says she poured out her soul to the Lord. Has anyone ever been in that place? Have you ever poured out your soul to the Lord? I remember a couple times in my life. I can describe it for you. I can point to exactly where it happened. It was the back bedroom at a house that we were living in at the time. And I was just so broken in some stuff in my life. I remember laying prostrate. Straight, got to get that right every time. Prostrate on the floor before God with my face down into the carpet. And it was soaking the carpet with my tears because I was so broken. 
That's a, that's a huge spot to be in. And the reality for, for some of us is we know that spot. The brokenness is so deep. The fear is so deep. The doubt, the, the, the sense of loneliness or isolation. Longing for God to come and change something. That for her to make a promise, Hannah, like she did, seems to be fitting. I'm willing to do anything, God, because I can't stand being like this. I can't stand being in this place. And I want to tell all of us, I want all of us to hear, because I think of that moment when I was face down on that carpet in that bedroom. God met me powerfully. And when we are in that place of pouring out our soul before the Lord for us to listen well then, what it is that he is saying to us. For us to, as we are in that moment, hear how God is present. Because I believe very strongly, very strongly, that at that moment, I was at the bottom. I was at the bottom of that particular pit. And when we're at the bottom of whatever pit that we're in, we can be met by God in powerfully in powerful ways, and if we listen to him in those spaces, then we can learn and grow. Otherwise, we're not at the bottom of the pit yet. Because here's how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he wants you to be at the bottom of the pit so that you can finally listen to him and love him. And if you try to stop that from happening, if you're willing to anesthetize yourself, save yourself from being, what did we say sin was last week? Dependence of God? Independence from God? If you try to save yourself from being fully and completely dependent upon God, then he will allow something else in your life to dig another part of the hole. And friends, there's some of us, that's exactly what we need. You need the pit. I need the pit. Because in the pit, God meets us. Because we've got nowhere else to turn, right? We've got nothing else that can save us in those places. When our addiction has uh, consumed us. When the relationship that is broken just is irreparable. And the pain of that comes and overwhelms us. That, that whenever our experience of, of maybe it's bankruptcy or the pain of feeling like a failure or whatever it is, that in those places when we're at the bottom, we say, God, I can't fix this. I need you to come and change it. And that's a beautiful place for God to meet us. And that's exactly what he did with Hannah. She poured out her soul before the Lord. And in that vulnerability of dependence on God, Eli speaks words to her of hope. Let's hear what those words are. 17 through 20. Eli answered, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. 
Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, I'm going to betray myself a little bit and make a little bit of a confession here. Don't, don't use it against me too hard. Because Eli really gives a pastor answer here. There are times when people come up to me and they say certain things or they pour out certain stuff or they're asking certain questions. And as a pastor, you're frankly in that moment of, I got no idea. I got no clue what to say to you. So I'm going to say, go in peace. May you experience and know God's presence in this thing. May you understand that God loves you. Greg, did you ever say those pastor answers sometimes? Absolutely. Mr. Bailey, sir? Yes, sir. We have some of those things sometimes because we don't have the answers. And in some ways, it seems like that's what Eli is doing. Go and may God grant to you the thing that you have asked for from him. But God meets Hannah powerfully in this, what seemingly is a pastor answer. And obviously, clearly, it brings some comfort to her, which is good. But here's what's even better about what Eli says to her. Eli says, go and may God grant to you the thing that you have asked for. And she says, wow, that's God's word to me. So how do I live into what God's complex will is for me? My, my, my womb has been closed. I, I don't know how to fix that. But God spoke to me here. Then I will go live out obedience to him to see if his will for me is real. So she first of all goes and takes care of herself. What does it say? It says she went up and she ate something. She started to live into obedience to God's will, even though it wasn't yet present. Question for you. Where in the Bible is the verse that says, God helps those who help themselves? Where is it? What book? It's not there. You won't find it anywhere. That's frankly one of those fallacies that people have said that God helps those who help. It's a saying. It's a, it's a mantra. It's not a verse of scripture. However, I will say this. God over and over and over again blesses the faith of his people when they live in obedience to him. God, it may not be a verse of Scripture, but God seems to show up over and over again when people do the things that are in obedience to His will. So it's an extra-biblical saying that has inner-biblical truth. And Hannah goes and lives into that by caring for herself. If she's going to have a child, she needs to be, he, she needs to be healthy. She went up and ate something. She went home again. She lived into her family. And she also went to bed with her husband. She was obedient, trusting that God would meet her in her faithful activity, executing obedience to Him. Now this is important for us. Because I have people say 
things to me like, I want so desperately, I've been praying desperately that God would change this thing. And if God would change this thing, then my life would be so much better. God would, if God met me here, I wouldn't know the pain that I feel. However, when you ask them, what are you doing in order to live into that place where although this is not yet true, perhaps God is in the process of making it true. Let me give you an example. A person who comes to me and says, I don't want to be an alcoholic. I hate the fact that drink has so much power over me. I hate the fact that I go and I, you know, in a sense, feed at this trough of evil in my life. And I can't seem to control it. For you to begin to master or seek some level of self-control. For you to maybe gather some people around you who will help you and support you in that particular addiction. Who will check in with you, who will challenge you, even give you a loving kick in the pants. Is living into obedience to God's will. And maybe even in the process, you will fall again. You will take another drink. You will sin in this thing. But... Maybe what God will do as you and I live into the process of obedience is God will meet us and there will be transformation. Live as if God is exercising his will of transformation in your life and God may actually be there. And don't be afraid of it. Because so often what happens is we know what obedience looks like. We're just fearful to take that step. We want God instead to miraculously transform. Come with some sort of Harry Potter magic wand and say, boom, done. Instead of us saying, God change me. Come and be in me. In the same way that Hannah is here. Hannah is saying, Come be in me and I will live into obedience to your will. And then we can see what happens. Let's see what happens. Verses 20 through 28 say this. 21 through 28, excuse me. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he, the son, worshipped the Lord there. Think about the vow that Hannah made, Think about the sacrifice that she was making. Her child is weaned. Now, it's a little bit different than, than so often our culture. Our culture says that children are weaned somewhere between, let's say, 12 months or, you know, something like that, a year. 
Oftentimes, children in this culture were not weaned until about age five or even six. So it's possible that this child, that this Samuel, was at age five at the time that he would have gone. However, still think about this. You're a mother. You're a parent who has received the gift of this miraculous child. You made a promise. For five years, you have loved your child. You have nursed your child. You have cared for your child. And now, all of a sudden, in obedience to your vow, you have to give up that kid. How many of you think you could do it? How hard would that be? And yet, because this is a woman who had experienced the abject pain of disappointment over and over and over and over again, out of her, this key word, gratitude, she was willing to give everything back to God. Even her son, her only son. For the service of God. And if you know the story, you know the beauty of what happens in the life of Samuel. Samuel is the same guy who anoints David. Samuel is the same guy who goes into David's throne room and admonishes him for his foolishness with Bathsheba. Samuel is the same guy who speaks God's truth and God's blessing and God's hope and God's power and God's discipline and God's admonishment and God's judgment over and over and over in the nation of Israel. He is God's voice so often to the people of Israel. Why is that? Because Hannah gave Samuel for all his life. Everything. And in some ways, I believe very strongly, God honored her vow and multiplied it even more than she could ever expect. She risked and sacrificed much in giving up her child. And yet God's blessing was much bigger than she could ever imagine. And friends, for us to hear that, When we're in the process and in the place where we have that disappointment in our life and we cry out to God and God does meet us because over and over again and there are hundreds of stories in this room of God meeting us in our disappointment and our challenges and in our brokenness. When God meets us, when God transforms those circumstances for then for us to live into a life full and complete worship. Because of our gratitude for what God has done. It's our lives become our thankfulness to God. Because he listened to our plea. And we're willing to give up everything. How many of you are willing to give up everything for God? Thank you for keeping your hands down. Because in some ways, practically, all of us are showing that. We show it with our lives. Right? We hold back. I hold back. There are places in my life where I don't want to give over to God in gratitude because I like being in control. What is that? That means I want to be independent of God. And what's independence of God? Every time I say independence from God, you should be right there, sin. Any place where I am independent from God is sin. And God calls me out of gratitude. He saved me. 
He gave me life. I have the grace of Jesus Christ that has transformed my world. When I was in high school and college and had God's will mapped out for my life and said, I want to go here and I want to go there and I want to do this and I want to do that. I had no idea how much of a mess I was. Even now, I'm just beginning to understand how sinful and broken and independent I was. And I'm learning that every time that I am willing to be fully dependent on Him, the beautiful stuff happens. The Samuel happens. The transformation in my life and in my world and in my heart and in my ministry and in my family and my home happens when I am willing to be dependent on Him. See, we want to know God's will. Here's God's will. God's will is for you to be fully and completely dependent on Him. In every part of your life, love the Lord your God with what? All. And as we love the Lord our God with all, we see The transformation happened. Now, a final question. Can God's mind be changed? What do you think? Yes? Can God's mind be changed? Can God's mind be changed? No. Anyone? How many of you are confused? How many of you are scared to raise your hand because you know I'm going to come down on you like a ton of bricks? See, I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is no. I think it's both. I really do. Because when we think about even this story about Hannah, was God's mind changed? Was it it changed? He had closed her womb, and then he opened her womb. Was God's mind changed? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe his plan was that she would go through these circumstances, come to that place of pouring out her soul before God, and then in that place, then he would open up her womb. Maybe that was the plan, and then God's will might not be changed. But here's the challenge, is we have places like Job, where it seems like God can be influenced, right? Satan comes to God, and he says, what about your servant Job? And Job says, and God says, ah, leave him alone. Oh, wait, okay, you can have a little, you can have a little bite of him. And then he says a little later on, you can have more of a bite of him. Seems like God can be influenced. And I get fearful of that when I think about Satan doing it, but I also trust in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what I know from this. It means that for my prayers to be pouring out my soul to God, longing for things to be changed is a really good activity. For me to look at things like, for example, the impossibles, God may, in this election cycle, every get one get along and love each other. How many of you to that? That sounds impossible. It does to me. But can God's mind be changed about that? I have to believe it. Let's be in prayer for that. Can God's mind be changed? The addict in my life, the brokenness in my life, the pain in my life that seems like it's been around for 20, 25 years. The relationships have been broken for that long. God, can this be changed? It seems impossible. Do I stop praying? No. See, that's part of the story. We don't know how long Hannah kept praying. 
We just know it was for a long time. Every year they would go up. And she kept going. And friends, some of you perhaps on that thing where you have implored God are in year three of six before God's going to move. Continue to seek to change the heart of God. Maybe you're in year 15 of 18. Maybe you're in year 40 of what will be eternity. But you and I don't know that. We have to trust that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us is to see every part of our lives, even those places and things and relationships and the stuff that we want to see turn. We have to trust that God's will is for them to be changed. And we don't stop because in us not stopping, we're living out what Hannah did. We're living like His will is active here and it is active to change. And if it changed Hannah's story, what might it do in ours? Let's pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, empower us to continue to wear out the knees of our pants in prayer, bowing before You, crying out to You, longing for You to change the things that we want changed. Maybe, Lord, it's personal. Maybe it's something in our lives that we want to see be different. We long to see our hearts changed, our behavior transformed, our relationships different. Perhaps, Lord, it's for the world around us. And Lord, we do see so much brokenness and pain and violence And we see wars and rumors of wars. And Lord, we long to see peace. We long to see shalom come. Lord, may we never stop praying. May we never stop asking You to come and change and make new and make the world safe for folks like the Blackburns to profess the name of Jesus. For folks, Lord, in their neighborhoods to to see, Lord, people come together who are now separated by conflict or brokenness. To see races come together. To see different parties come together. To see different groups. Different, different, Lord, all the stuff, Lord, that we see as division in our world. We long for you to come and make that stuff new. And Lord, empower us to never stop praying for that. Because we never know, Lord, how your will is at work. Lord, I pray for those folks even this morning who are here and they're longing for that answer. And Lord, equip them in Jesus' name to live into your will and obedience for their lives. Lord, if it is simply being faithful to you, if it is simply making a change or two in behaviors, Lord, where they're addicted or where they're doing things that are foolish or unhelpful, Lord, equip them to that end. Lord, wherever it is that we we want to see you present, may we live into the trust that you are. And then, Lord, may you show up. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.